0: We are in our second week of Advent, uh, and as Aaron mentioned this morning, the topic is lament. And you noticed, as Aaron pointed out, our songs were all in minor keys. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I'm not a musician, what's a minor key? Well, I'll use use a simpler idea of a minor triad. A minor triad, bum, 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 sounds kind of sad. Whereas a major triad, bum, 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 sounds happy. So in general, not always, but in general, composers, arrangers use minor keys because it it paints a more somber picture. It's a palette that's a little darker, and I think it allows the light to shine a little brighter. Now you're thinking, okay, why are we singing sad songs on Christmas, Pastor? I mean, shouldn't we be singing along with Andy Williams? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, Andy's not wrong. It is. But the question is, why? I mean, why is it the most wonderful time of the year? Uh, Parents, forgive me for this next song, but if everything is awesome, okay, for the Lego movie, I'm sorry. Yeah, it might be in your ear for like five minutes. It's awful. But if everything is awesome, then that doesn't make sense why this would be the most wonderful time of the year. Does that make sense? In other words, as Kent was just talking about in in regards to sin, if we don't understand the depths of our sin, then what's the rejoicing in a Savior? And, And so too, if Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, why? Well, today we're going to explore that next week with the topic of faith. Week four, the topic of hope. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, when we'll celebrate Christmas as a church family, in the evening, by the way, remember, in the morning on Christmas Eve, Sunday, we're serving uh, the community meal. But in the evening, we'll gather together for our final uh, week of our final celebration of Christmas, and love will be our topic for that day. I loved beginning this morning with those minor songs, it sets the stage. For our time
1: of lament today. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel.
0: You hear the hope, but you hear the minor, the, the darkness underneath that reflects the reality of our world. Every one of us at some point in our lives will grieve. Every one of us will be faced with either the consequences of our sin and our choices or the consequences of somebody else's sin and choices or that third category of a natural disaster. But the bad news is, friends, all of us will suffer if we live long enough. All of us will feel a pain at times that we do not know what to do with. And no one can run from it and hide, whether by drug or destination, but God, and I'll stop there. I don't want to give away too much. Turn with me, if you will, and open up your Bible to the book of Lamentations. That's page 471 in your paper pew Bibles, or if you're looking for it in your Bible, it's between um, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Today, we'll be reading and learning from Lamentations chapter three. Please stand with me. And I will read out loud and ask you to follow along. Chapter 3, verses 19 through uh, through 31, 32, 33, excuse me. Uh, Starting in verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Verse 28, Let him sit alone in silence, and when it is laid on him, let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. Verses 31 through 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this morning as we pause amidst the Christmas cheer and the preparations that are so exciting for many of us, we recognize that for some of us, maybe more than we know, this time, this season is extremely difficult. And we need your help. We need the gift of the song of lament to walk through the pain, to walk through the heartache, the trauma. We need lament to point us to you, Father, and your Son, Jesus, through the power of your Spirit. And it's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit that we pray and ask these things this morning. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the title for today's sermon is simply Caroling in a Minor Key. And I need to give some credit before I get going, lest you think that um, I'm smarter than I am. Uh, I'm very thankful for this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And this should go out in the email this week from Esther. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, written by Mark Vrogop. Um, The subtitle is significant here. It it, it reads, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Discovering the Grace of Lament. Of lament He and his wife lost a daughter just a few days before she was due to be born. And this book that I just held up uh, talks about his journey, and he says this: "And in my journey, he says, "I discovered the grace of lament, a song I never wanted to sing, a song I never wanted to sing." Mark's book is wonderful in that it walks us through how to lament and then shows us the reasons why lament is needed in the life of a Christian. Today, we're going to reverse that a little bit. We're going to look at the why, and in that why, we will see the how. But first, let me give an introduction to the book of Lamentations. I've never heard a sermon from the book of Lamentations in my life, so I'm a little nervous giving the first one that I've ever heard. Um, and, and I'm going to I'll be honest, a lot of this is just from the ESV study Bible. So parents, if you're looking for a gift to give your kid to encourage their faith, get them a study Bible, ESV, NIV, NASB, whatever. They're awesome. So the, the authors who put together the commentary in that ESV study Bible tell us that in the Hebrew Bible in my office that you could look at, the title for the book Lamentations isn't there. It actually is the word How. How. 1, chapter 1, Lamentations reads, and you can follow along with me if you want, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. Chapter 2, verse 1, how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. And chapter 4, verse 1, of course I can't find it, here we go, how the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is chained, the holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The point here is how much Jerusalem has suffered under the hands of the Babylonians, but ultimately under the will of God. Uh, the author, we don't really know, it probably is Jeremiah, but it may be somebody else. It doesn't really change the inspiration of the book, but instead, this actually very complex. Collection of poems underscores the terrible reality of God's punishment on his people and their sense of the pain that they've gone through. In in short, lamentations is not for the faint of heart. It's meant for those of us who have prayed, please God, no. And whose hearts are grieving from the trauma of his apparent yes. Yes. I mentioned a bunch of poems, it's true. Several of the poems, you'll notice there there are stanzas and each stanza is a different letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So we have several acrostic poems within the larger book of Lamentations. And it's interesting to note the meter, if you're a poetry nerd, is the same meter that is used in the funeral processions in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 27. So there is, if you will, uh, a limp in the poem and the way the words roll off the tongue in the Hebrew. It's purposeful. Inspired by God, written through the craftsmanship of men. When viewed as a whole, the book of Lamentations begins with Jerusalem's protest regarding all that she's suffered. And chapter 5, it ends with her repentance and her coming back, turning again to God. Chapters 1 and 2 detail horrible things that Israel, Judah has suffered. And I mean horrible, it's hard to read. Chapter three, our chapter, features uh, the voice of a singular man. And I think a foreshadowing of Christ, by the way, if you read it in your devotions this week. And this man is counseling God's people to turn to God just as he, done, as he has done even in the midst of great suffering. Chapter four, the protest begins again, but there's a sense in which the author is telling the people of Jerusalem The faithful Jews, take responsibility for your sin and repent. And then chapter 5, they do. And they put their hope again in the Lord. Why do all this? Why give us this big introduction? Because I don't want to take lamentations out of context and just create a proof text for my own thoughts. I always want us and myself first to sit under the authority of God's word. Well, I mentioned Mark's book earlier. uh, An excellent book. I encourage you to read it. We are geared this day to always start thinking of ourselves first and the communal aspects of our walk with Christ later. And that's why I want to reverse these and focus on chapter 3. So our passage begins, turning to chapter 3, verse 19, with a call. A call to remember. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Verse 20, my soul continually remembers. Same word remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, another way of saying, I remember, and therefore I have hope. Notice those first two verses. They're really the first two steps in learning how to lament. The first step in lament is to turn and to keep turning to God in prayer. The second step is to bring him your complaints. Now, let me unpack that, as our, our, the, the book does, and the scripture models, by the way. The first step sounds like a no-brainer. Well, of course, Pastor, I would turn to God in prayer. But, But do you? Do you turn to God in prayer when you're really, really hurting? I mean, if you think about it, you might be turning to something else first and then something else second and maybe even something else third. God may be way on the back burner. Do we turn to God in prayer when we are hurting in the most deepest sense whether they were things done to us or things done by us? Do we believe that we can turn to him in prayer and that he will listen? As Aaron alluded to earlier, a third of our psalms are just this, turning to God in prayer when in the midst of incredible pain and suffering and sin. So first and foremost, friends, I want us to be equipped in our darkest times and to turn again and to turn again to God our Father in prayer through his Son by the power of the Spirit. Two, we can bring him our complaints. Now that may seem a bit inappropriate. Maybe a bit just like how can the pastor say that Complain to God. But again, look at the Psalms. Look at the book of Job. Read Lamentations. God's saints do. He already knows what we're thinking. Doesn't he? In fact, he already knows the thoughts you won't tell your spouse. In fact, he already knows the thoughts you won't even write in your journal because they are too dark for anyone to read. So why not bring them, friends, out of the darkness into the light? First, we go to God in prayer. And like like the, the author of Lamentations, we bring him our complaints. Remember my afflictions. Remember my wanderings. Remember the bitter wormwood, the gall, two things that just taste terrible. Remember how my soul was crushed by the circumstances that you, God, allowed in your sovereignty to happen in my life. God knows our thoughts. When we bring them out into the light, he can then begin to help us with them. Verse 21, but, did you catch it? But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Verses 22 through 24, some of the greatest verses in the Bible, aren't they? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. What is the author here describing? He's describing the character of God, isn't he? Did you notice those character descriptions? The steadfast love of God. God's love is not fickle like ours. God's love doesn't increase or decrease. It is steady, steadfast, never ending. No matter how many times we screw up, no matter how many times we revolt and rebel against his will and our actions and our thoughts, God's love does not falter. It is steadfast. Two, his mercies have no end. They never cease. Remember that mercy is a choice. You and I can show mercy to one of our kids when they disobey by not giving them the justice they are due. But it's always a choice. So isn't that remarkable that God's mercy He chooses to be merciful and there is no limit to his jar of mercies, if you will. You don't run out. There's no three strikes and you're out with God if you're one of his children. This doesn't diminish sin, by the way, friends, but what this does is it exalts his grace. And those two can be held in tension. They need to be. So God's character is one of steadfast, never changing love and of a mercy that never dries out. And notice the third and final and the hymn that we love to sing, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. So this man of Judah, chapter three here, may not understand why he suffered so greatly, but that doesn't cancel God's love, God's mercy and his faithfulness. Again, I have to ask us: does it for you and for me? Verse 24, he moves on. I've read it once, I'll read it again because it's a little strange to our ears. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. That's the soul that was crushed, by the way, that was almost in despair. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. Well, the idea of portion goes way back to Exodus. Remember, the the tribes are coming into the promised land and each tribe is given a portion of the land except for the tribe of Levi. Their portion is the Lord. They are to be his servants, his priests, the Levitical class. So the author here says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. It's as if he's saying no matter what happens to him, no matter what his losses are, his portion is in the Lord and that's enough. When you and I are overwhelmed with grief, sometimes we we see that the Lord has allowed these events and we we realize he's doing it to remind us that he is our greatest inheritance, that everything else he gave us is a bonus. That if like Job, shaken down to his very, uh, his, his kids are dead, his, his wife is telling him just to curse God and die, his body is covered. He's all he's got left, but that's enough. Now it wasn't enough for Job's friends and Job, but in the end it was. When you and I are overwhelmed with grief, our first steps, according to the book of Lamentations and the psalmist, is to continue to go to the Lord in prayer. Two, it is to continue to tell him, to bring to him our hardships, to let him know what we're thinking. He can handle it. <clears throat> and finally, we'll move through the rest of our, our chapter here and get towards the end, which I, I just love so much, verses 31 through 33. The next two stanzas, this is verses 25 through 27 and 28 through 30, encourage us to wait for the Lord's salvation, to trust that he will treat us um, with goodness if we wait on him. Read with me. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. Okay, we're asking, how is this good? It doesn't seem very good to be struck and not to return the blow, to sit in silence, to take it. That in our youth, it's good for us to bear the yoke of these hardships. And yet I, I imagine a uh, God here being like a grandfather to a young father as his grandson is suffering. So we have three generations in my mind represented here, and I hope this helps illustrate the point. Any parent, when they see their child suffers suffering, wants to take away their suffering. And many of us will say, Lord, Lord, put it on me, not my, not my child, not my son. It's the hardest thing. One of the hardest things as a parent is to see your child suffering. So you can imagine, and many of us have experienced this. Your parent, the grandparents, saying, it's okay. They're going to get through this. It's actually good that they're experiencing some of this now so you can help them walk through this. There's hope. It seems to me that's the idea of the part here in Lamentations. It is not easy, but it is good in a sense for us to experience some suffering when we're young to experience grief and the trauma that comes with just living in a broken world there's hope we're young we can get through it lastly verses 31 through 33 show us the why we can get through it for the lord will not cast off forever But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Hmm. For the Lord will not cast off forever. One of the hardest things for us to do as Christians when we're in pain is to think of the Lord more than our pain. of the hardest things to do, isn't it? When a wound is acute, when the pain is throbbing, our minds tend to isolate on that wound. Any of us know that after surgery, it's all we can think about and feel at times is just the pounding pain and the desire for relief. Spiritually speaking, then, it is good for us. It is a gift when we can, through the the work of lament begin to turn our eyes away from our pain to the Lord. It brings about a circumspect perspective. It brings about, well, the Lord's work in our lives. And we remember then that the Lord will not cast off his children forever. He will not punish us forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. You hear the promise, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Again, his character is not one that loves to punish. Rather, he loves to love. Punishment will come if needed, for he is both loving and just. But it's the love that is certainly at the forefront here. The punishment if needed. The grief if needed. He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Verse 33 might be translated dynamically. He does not enjoy our pain. He does not abuse. If you're a child of an abusive parent, your father God is not like your human father or mother. Quite the difference. Step three and step four in Mark uh, Vrogop's book on lament is seen here. One, to ask boldly and four, to choose to trust. One, or number three, to ask boldly. We come again to the Lord in our pain. We look again, we put our eyes on him and we ask that he will be compassionate, that he will be loving, that he will remind us of his faithfulness. We do not fear rejection. We come boldly and we choose again and again to trust. We can ask God in prayer to intervene boldly. We can ask him because we can trust his heart. We can choose him over our feelings, friends. We can choose him over our circumstances. We can walk with him as the heroes of the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 did. So, in closing today, we've walked through a very brief, probably too brief, uh, how to lament, and a very brief introduction to the book of Lamentations, really just the, the middle part of chapter three. But the point here, friends, I think, at least I hope is clear, is that in some of our best carols, that minor key is that melody of lament. It is the recognition of the pain that we have suffered individually, It is a recognition of the pain that men and women of faith have suffered for thousands of years. It is a recognition that suffering is a part of faith. Not an option. It's a part of it. We could point to many passages, Old and New Testament. It's also an invitation to not keep our pain inside, but to bring it out into the light, to lament, to bring our grief and verbalize it, even in song. It's really an invitation to give it to Jesus, who wants to carry our heavy yoke and give us his, which is light, Matthew's gospel, if you remember. And it's last but not least a reminder for us who, as Americans, are highly individually focused. It's a reminder that we are a part of a far greater story, that our pain is just a blip in the grander scheme of things. It will fade, it will pass. In some ways, you could say everything sad is untrue. One of my favorite books recently written, uh, it's written uh, to a middle school age reader, by the way, Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nayeri. It's remarkable that this is biographical. Uh, Daniel, or Khosrow is his name, uh, is Persian or, or from Iran, and uh, his mother, uh, gets converted to Christianity, and they have to flee. Uh, there, is a, uh, 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 there is a hit on her, if you will, by the Muslim authorities. She is a dead woman walking. Her uh, husband, his, Daniel's father, is not converted, and so the mother takes uh, Daniel and his sister, and they flee the country. And you follow their travels all throughout some incredibly scary situations that he tells in a way that's appropriate for a middle schooler or a high schooler for sure. Um, it's a remarkable story, a true story. And you, looking back through the book just this morning and last and yesterday, I, I'm I, I marveled at all the pain they've gone through, all the horrible things they suffered. And he, Daniel the author, states this after having just witnessed um, his mother's second husband um, um, trying to put his mother's head through the, through the, the wall. He says this. Looking at his mother as an example of faith, a woman whose life was full of lament, he says, I don't know how my mom was so unstoppable despite all that stuff happening, the fleeing from their home country, the wondering where they would ever get out of uh, an encampment in, 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 uh, in Italy, where they would ever be able to settle here in the States, and then to marry a man who was abusive. He says, despite all that stuff, I don't know. Maybe my mom was unstoppable because of her anticipation. Hope. The anticipation that the God who listens in love will one day speak justice. The hope that some final fantasy will come to pass that will make everything sad untrue. He's postulating, friends, that what kept his mother going and what has kept some of us going through the hardest of times is that we know that in the end we'll be made new. That sadness won't be true in an eternal sense. It'll have just been fleeting. That is what I sense, that is what I gather when I hear our minor key carols. And so I want to sing together the last two stanzas that I know of, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, stanzas six and seven together. They should be up on the screen. Um, and I want us to sing this and, and soak the words in, even if the melody is something you struggle with. I'm sure most of us know it,
1: though. Oh, come, O oh, bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come. Bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease, and be yourself a king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Jesus, we sing that song because we believe
0: that you indeed will come. You have already come in the flesh once, and you will come again. And on that day, all that was sad will be made untrue. There will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. You will separate the sheep from the goats. It will be a terrible day of judgment, but it will be a glorious day of redemption, a glorious day of the fulfillment of all that you have been working for since time began. We thank you, God, that you have never been surprised once by our sin, or by our pain, we're thankful that you alone can bring about good from our suffering. No one else can do that. No one else can turn our sorrows into something fruitful. No one else can take what someone meant for us as evil and turn it into good. And yet, in the most ultimate sense, in the truest of reality, you are working in everything. Everything. And all the suffering that we have and will endure is really a drop in the bucket, nothing. It's precious to you, for you keep our, our tears in a bottle, but yet we will, we will never regret one day, one moment, one iota of pain or suffering, of trauma, in view of the glory of eternity with you. Please, as we've lit these candles this week and last week and we'll continue to continue to stoke the fire of faith in our hearts and grow our hope in your love and we pray all these things in the great love of our lord jesus amen